This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. Welcome back to Energy Sense. In the second half of our conversation with Wade Schaefer and Doug Jeffrey, we're going to keep talking about power markets and the important conversations that come off the back of the recent incidents in California and what it means for other regions across North America. And uh, please stay tuned. We've got a lot to talk about. And Hill, I think that we can safely say the second half of this conversation is as intriguing as the first. Yeah, Brian, I think so. And uh, the, the, the conversation is certainly topical um, with, with all that's going on in California. And we hope everybody enjoyed episode one and uh, uh, enjoy the rest of the conversation with Doug and Wade here in part two. You mentioned battery developers. Are those the same participants as the utilities themselves or are they contracting out toward battery developers that could maybe serve California and uh, East Coast markets or you know, what, what, what type of industry is that? Sure, so they're, it's a mix of players, but they're more like um, traditional power plant developers. I mean, there's some battery specific developers out there, um, but really, you know, it's it's batteries are becoming a core piece of uh, power infrastructure and more and more, um, you know, opportunities that historically would have been, you know, gas turbines or combined cycles, which are bigger gas plants, um, opportunities that historically would have been, you know, new new gas turbines, um, now they're pivoting towards batteries, and um, it's really because battery costs have come down substantially. You know, it's a lot like solar and renewables; costs have done come down quickly. They're really piggybacking on uh, the 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 automotive industry and the move to ele- electric powertrains, and that's helping scale up the battery industry and bringing down costs. Uh, so with now cheaper battery costs, you can build you know um, data center size batteries. Um, you know, multiple stories of, of, you know, facilities that are batteries and um, and they charge off of renewables or off the grid and then uh, hold that energy and then use it, you know, in the evening uh, when the sun's setting, when those power plants are needed. And that's that's the world we're heading to. And so there's there's all types of infrastructure developers, financial players uh, behind these projects being developed. It's largely not the utilities. It's more um, infrastructure developers and then some battery players like Tesla, for example, developing these projects. Heard of Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and on the East Coast and Midwest, I should say, I mean, I think you've hit on one of the major questions that the industry is grappling with right now. I mean, the, the reality is there is still a very large coal fleet in the Midwest of this country, parts of the Mid-Atlantic and through the South. And those units are getting quite old. They're often uh, no longer economic. And utilities and and developers are facing this question um, where today it's cheaper in some parts of the country to build wind and solar than it is to operate your existing coal plant. And so they're making a pretty rational decision in an oversight applied market to go ahead and retire the coal and build it wind and solar. The challenge becomes when you get to a very tight market and you need to be able to call in a resource, 
you know, you can't dispatch wind and solar. So what is going to fill that gap? Um, in a market like PJM, where we, you know, they have this capacity auction where resources can bid in, it's not really utility planning, it's developers that are willing to take some risks in the market. There we saw significant gas build the last five years, you know, over 18 gigawatts were developed. Uh, that has slowed down in the last few years. Uh, I had actually been saying this in 2017, expect to slow down here. The market is going to be dramatically overbuilt. Uh, my personal opinion is that as coal retirements continue, nuclear retirements continue, Exelon just announced last week, you know, potentially four gigawatts uh, in Illinois retiring. There's going to be a need in, in opportunity for gas developers in a market like PJM. So there, I think we'll certainly see you know a role for gas play a significant role in the future. For in new build. For new build, absolutely. For new build, okay. Yeah. So in not just existing infrastructure being used more, but whole new. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we, we. I think it'll ramp up. I mean, there's today about eight gigawatts of gas under construction in the U.S. today. Um, that was at 18 gigawatts in early January 2018. Um, so, you know, we've come down quite a bit, but I think it, there's a lot going on there rather than just, you know, wind and solar and battery costs. It has a lot to do with how oversupplied the markets are. There's not a need to be building firm capacity in many regions. In our view, that shifts dramatically as early as the mid-2020s. If we see the kind of exit of coal plants and nuclear plants that we're forecasting, uh, there'll be a need and wind and solar are unlikely to be able to completely fill that gap. And so industry is going to be faced with the question, um, are batteries sufficient? You know, you may have periods where you need output from facility for much longer than four hours, you know, which is kind of the standard for batteries today. Um, you know, that is still where there is some value in having the gas plants available. So in parts of the Midwest, um, you know, you look at utility plans and they still talk about, you know, small amount of gas additions being developed. They haven't, you know, scrubbed them from their outlook completely. Uh, Duke Energy released their IRP, you know, their big uh, integrated resource planning document. You know, that is kind of their scenarios for what they expect to need to develop in the future. And most of their scenarios have a significant amount of new gas development in it. So in the southeast, I think we'll still see that. So the, the southeast is sorry, if you give just give me out a kind of a region by region, which regions do we think are tight and where we think there is probably something that needs to be done that isn't yet necessarily being talked about or in the books already or in the works already? Yeah, so the tight markets are really today are California, uh, some parts of the Southwest, in Texas. The reason why this is there's so much uncertainty here is looking at it today, many markets look very oversupplied. Uh, like I said, PJM is at a 30% reserve margin, which is in their planning, they want to have about 16% of capacity uh, beyond their what they expect the peak load to be. Now, that's kind of the cushion of the margin they like. They're kind of twice that cushion right now. So, you know, in many parts of the Midwest, uh, you know, they're up around, you know, 25 to 30%. So decisions being made today about, you know, retire coal, build wind and solar, um, you know, that is rational and reasonable given how the excess capacity. 
our view is that that can change, you know, within five years if we see a lot of the uh, plug pulled on a lot of the coal fleet. And then decisions will need to be made about what to build in terms of maintaining reliability. And so we get some pushback on our gas bill in you know, our, our outlook for new power supply. You know, we see gas playing a significant share, um, you know, not like it used to be. So wind and solar will probably still be two thirds to 75% of what's developed. Um, but there is a role for new gas in many markets that you know haven't effectively put a moratorium on it. Yeah, I was gonna say you might even see gas come back in the West, um, not immediately. But new I mean, build as well? Potentially. Like I mean, this is yeah. the you know, the West is heading for this hard, hard decision, these tough questions. And you know, like like Doug says, so California's tight, the desert southwest is tight, which is like Arizona, New Mexico. Um, but even the Pacific Northwest um, is getting tighter, and it's really, it's not really demand growth. It's it's the coal coal plants being retired, and and it really comes down to you know reliability and how do you balance reliability with with decarbonization or cutting carbon emissions. And right now, the focus you know the focus really is on you know methane is a new coal. We don't need gas. Let's get rid of gas. No gas ever again. Um, and, you know, to some degree, that's a luxury when you have lots of extra power plants that someone else already built, um, you know, decades ago. Um, but the West, again, is on the leading edge of this where they're getting to the point where they're going to get rid of all the old power plants they don't that aren't as competitive anymore or too costly. They're going to replace a lot of that energy with renewables. But now they're looking, you know, to protect against the August 14th that are out there and try to keep the lights on. And, um, you know, right now there's a large enough legacy fleet that it's not immediately an issue. But if, um, you know, more more owners, you know, uh, retire units either because they're old or because, you know, policy and the market design isn't compensating them sufficiently, if, if more plants close, um, then it sort of leaves the questions of, you know, how are you going to keep the lights on um, either in the depths of winter when it's really cloudy and maybe on the days where it's not windy or, you know, in the summertime when it's really hot, but for some reason there are these weird thunderstorms and they have cloud cover over some of the solar and it's it's windy in the wrong places and we don't have wind plants where it's windy, you know, what do you do then? And, you know, maybe, you know, there's a good chance batteries can do a lot of it, uh, but there are always, you know, there are always these small uh, periods of time, you know, on the tail end of a, of a distribution, uh, you know, event distribution, there are always these times where you need something for 10, 12 hours or more that's something a battery can't do today. It'll probably be a while before a battery can do that cost effectively. And so why not, you know, have a gas plant do it? A gas turbine, you know, you they're pretty cheap in the grand scheme of power infrastructure. Um, you know, you put steel on the ground and it's going to sit there and not run, you know, 85% of the year, 90% of the year. It's not going to emit that much carbon, um, but it's there when you need it to make sure the lights are on. And, and we, you know, we think, you know, that is part of the solution and that could that could be one of the key supporting legs to a deeply decarbonized future, whereas you have you still have gas infrastructure there as that last gap, you know, that backstop resource to make sure the lights are on, and that's still a low carbon future. So it sounds like there's you know almost a, not a perfect storm, maybe that's the wrong word, but a, you know a, a, as we we see some increased tightening across you know more markets in the Southwest and California, Texas. There's a lot of opportunity for investment, a lot of opportunity for, uh, you know, new projects and new, new, 
um, new work um, that will you know be changing the face, I guess, of all these power regions. There is, I mean, it's it. You know, I talked about PJM being so oversupplied. Um, you know, but even last month uh, there was developer closed financing on a very large new combined cycle uh, gas project uh, in Illinois. Um, you know, and that's we're going to continue to see new gas enter the market, like I said, because there's a lot of, uh, you know, Ohio nuclear plants, you know, the all House Bill 6 and the bribery scandal there. You know, there's a chance that financial support from the state is pulled for those plants. Similarly, you know, plants in, in Illinois, uh, like I said, recently announced retirement there. Um, yeah, these markets will tighten. There's going to be opportunities for development in, in many markets on both wind, solar, batteries, and natural gas, in my opinion. And as we wait for those developments, it's just volatility within these markets. Uh, I mean, what what can we expect as as we wait for sort of that finally to come to fruition? Blackout? Yeah. More, more of these events, I guess. Uh, I guess that's what we can expect. In the markets that are tight, yeah, you know, I think volatility is part of, you know, design in a market like Texas. You know, you keep things very tight and you'll get volatility and that's part of the design. Um, I think in some other countries, I'd say volatility may not be the right word, but it's uncertainty. It's uncertainty on, you know, what policymakers and regulators uh, will allow you to build. You know, we've seen some gas plants be rejected. Um, so there's uncertainty there. There's tension today between the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and state policymakers in terms of you know, state policies that are trying to encourage renewable development, support existing nuclear plants, and federal regulators that oversee the competitive power markets in the East trying to prevent those resources from entering the market and um, suppressing prices that are available to other generators. So, all that tensions and some of the developments we've seen have created a lot of uncertainty that the industry is just going to have to navigate for the next few years. So, Doug, since you so nicely brought up such a interesting and, and pivotal topic, I'm going to ask you guys this. Uh, thoughts? Is the election going to make a difference uh, from, from a power side? What are you guys saying with respect to risks opportunities around the whatever the outcome might be come November. Is that something that's on your radar? Uh, are there scenarios based off that? Or um, do you think that enough of this is just being market driven that the election won't necessarily have huge implications? Yeah, I think if it has potential for very large implications, if we were to see a Biden victory, and I'll let you know Wade follow up on this, but um, you know, just I just mentioned that tension between the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and state governments. Currently, we've got a Republican chairman. Uh, we've, you know, the party that occupies the uh, presidency kind of dictates the composition of FERC. And so you typically have, when you have a full roster, you know, three of the incumbent party and two of the opposition party. Um, so, the rulings that we've seen coming down from FERC have been less than accommodating to state clean energy policy uh, under Trump. Were Biden to win, we'd get a new FERC chairman, likely see three Democrats get on there. And I, I don't know how they rule. My suspicion is that 
the decisions they make as it relates to market design and these competitive power markets would be more accommodative of the state's goals. So I think that can help spur development of particularly offshore wind in the eastern markets. That is where we have the largest tension. And Wade, you may want to comment on tax credits. Yeah, I think in the western U.S., you know, I think I think the march will go on, you know, regardless of who wins. Um, the you know the power market is is very likely going to decarbonize. Renewables are going to increase. You know, storage is going. Battery storage is going to be deployed more. It's really just economics and technology. Um, you know, technology cost curves, learning. Um, you know, that's a global global industry thing. You can't you can't really change that or disrupt that um, with an election. And the decisions are being made now at the state level and also just in utility boardrooms, just looking at costs and um, and making the decision. You know that that things are lining up in the way to to move to this lower carbon future. And a lot of it's you know a lot of it is made possible by the Western U.S.'s bountiful natural resources. You know, great wind, great sunshine has hydropower too, which helps a lot. Um, so a lot of it, you know, a lot of it's helped by the natural endowments there. But I think, you know, I think if if if, if Biden wins and if, if Congress's composition changes in a way that um, is more supportive of a, you know, of a Biden presidency, uh, you could see tax credits come back. There's talk around tax credits for batteries, which, you know, you could think about solar maybe Oh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, maybe even not that long ago, but tax credits would would turn what already is, you know, increasingly a, a good value proposition for storage, could make it a slam dunk and sort of grease, you know, grease uh, the pathway in other markets for batteries. Um, so I think I think regardless of who wins, you know, the Western U.S. is going to march to this lower carbon power future. But if a Biden presidency happens and Congress is favorable, you could see that march, you know, turn into a sprint. You can really see things change quickly, uh, given given you know changing policy supports for renewables and, and clean technologies. You mentioned hydro, and we were talking in the beginning about uh, Frozen Two. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, I'm assuming that we so good at circling a back hill. <laughs> well, <laughs> so so whoever comes in, pr presumably they've watched Frozen Two, and, and uh, does hydro have a rebirth or is frozen to kind of is, is that a fair perception of some of the concerns with hydro um doug the the spoiler alert frozen to <laughs> is not overly supportive of hydro for a bunch of different reasons <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that, so there are lots of you know environmental and, and social concerns around hydro um you know um i think you know with with, with you know anyways there's some concerns around it um, new hydro, uh, not so much. I think British Columbia, British Columbia is the only one building a significant project. So they're building uh, a, a new dam, very large dam, uh, 1.3 gigawatts. So bigger, bigger than what Kaiso needed to keep the lights on uh, on that Friday. Um, but other than that, no, I, I think you know it helps support it. I think you know there'll be more learnings of how how can you change the way the existing dams operate to complement renewables, and that's something. That's something uh, Kaiso did. So they got they got the dam operators in California, some of them, to spill more water uh, during the evening, so that they were generating more electricity uh, when the sun was setting. And so that that sort of tweak, that optimization, I think I think that will that will help and support um, you know the greater use of renewables in, in the Western U.S. All right. Well, one of the things that I did leave with questions from that movie, Wade, were <laughs> they, they just lost their source of electricity for Arendelle. 
and I don't know how else. Or I guess Anna's apparently that didn't matter. Hill. I, I mean, let's get let's all just all be honest here. There, there are huge ice. holes within the story. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's an ice fusion power plant we don't know about that's creating <laughs> infinite electricity for them. Or I guess with the sunlight that it's eternal summer there now, and so they get all this solar oh, now. I don't. It, there's just a host of possibilities. <laughs> we continued with Frozen 3. Well, well thank you all yeah. for... Uh... Let's hope not. Let's <laughs> stop. Frozen 2. <laughs> thank you all for joining us, and uh, we, we will uh, uh, we'll see what happens this weekend with, with those warnings from Kaiso on the uh, electricity in California, and keep our fingers crossed for everybody uh, that the lights are on and the air conditioners are on. And uh, we'll have you back soon, so thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.